Chapters 1 through 10 of Against Celsus, Book 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by David Ronald. Against Celsus, Book 5 by Origin of Alexandria. Translated by Frederick Crombie. It is not, my reverend Ambrosius, because we seek after many words, a thing which is forbidden, and in the indulgence of which it is impossible to avoid sin, that we now begin the fifth book of our reply to the treatise of Celsus, but with the endeavor, so far as may be within our power, to leave none of his statements without examination, and especially those in which it might appear to some that he had skillfully assailed us and the Jews, if it were possible indeed, for me to enter along with my words into the conscience of every one without exception who peruses this work, and to extract each dart which wounds him who is not completely protected with the whole armor of God, and apply a rational medicine to cure the wound inflicted by Celsus, which prevents those who listen to his words from remaining sound in the faith, I would do so. But since it is the work of God alone, in conformity with his own spirit, and along with that of Christ, to take up his abode invisibly in those persons whom he judges worthy of being visited, so, on the other hand, is our object to try, by means of arguments and treatises, to confirm men in their faith, and to earn the name of workmen, needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And there is one thing above all which it appears to us we ought to do, if we would discharge faithfully the task enjoined upon us by you, and that is to overturn, to the best of our ability, the confident assertions of Celsus. Let us then quote such assertions of his as follow those which we have already refuted. The reader must decide whether we have done so successfully or not, and let us reply to them. And may God grant that we approach not our subject with our understanding and reason empty and devoid of divine inspiration, that the faith of those whom we wish to aid may not depend upon human wisdom, but that, receiving the mind of Christ from his Father, who alone can bestow it, and being strengthened by participating in the word of God, we may pull down every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and the imagination of Celsus, who exalts himself against us, and against Jesus, and also against Moses and the prophets, in order that he who gave the word to those who published it with great power, may supply us also, and bestow upon us great power, so that faith in the word and power of God may be implanted in the minds of all who will peruse our work. We have now, then, to refute that statement of his, which runs as follows, quote, O Jews and Christians, no God, or son of a God, either came or will come down to earth. But if you mean that certain angels did so, then what do you call them? Are they gods, or some other race of beings? Some other race of beings doubtless, and in all probability, demons. End quote. 
Now Celsus here is guilty of repeating himself, for in the preceding pages such assertions have been frequently advanced by him. It is necessary to discuss the matter at greater length, seeing what we have already said upon this point may suffice. We shall mention, however, a few considerations out of a greater number, such as we deem in harmony with our former arguments, but which have not altogether the same bearing as they, and by which we shall show that in asserting generally that no god or son of God ever descended among men, he overturns not only the opinions entertained by the majority of mankind regarding the manifestation of deity, but also what was formerly admitted by himself. For if the general statement that, quote, no God or son of God has come down or will come down, end quote, be truly maintained by Celsus, it is manifest that we have here overthrown the belief in the existence of gods upon the earth who have descended from heaven either to predict the future to mankind or to heal them by means of divine responses, and neither the Pythian Apollo nor Aesculapius nor any other among those supposed to have done so would be a god descended from heaven. He might, indeed, either be a god who had obtained as his lot the obligation to dwell on earth forever and be thus a fugitive, as it were, from the abode of the gods, or he might be one who had no power to share in the society of the gods in heaven, or else Apollo and Escalapius and those others who are believed to perform acts on earth would not be gods, but only certain demons, much inferior to those wise men among mankind, who on account of their virtue ascend to the vault of heaven. But observe how, in his desire to subvert our opinions, he who never acknowledged himself throughout his whole treatise to be an Epicurean is convicted of being a deserter to that sect. And now is the time for you, reader, who peruse the works of Celsus and give your assent to what has been advanced either to overturn the belief in a god who visits the human race and exercises a providence over each individual man, or to grant this and prove the falsity of the assertions of Celsus. If you, then, wholly annihilate providence, you will falsify those assertions of his in which he grants the existence of, quote, God and a providence, end quote in order that you may maintain the truth of your own position. But if, on the other hand, you still admit the existence of providence, because you do not assent to the dictum of Celsus that, quote, neither has a god nor the son of a god come down, nor is to come down to mankind, end quote, why not rather carefully ascertain from the statements made regarding Jesus and the prophecies uttered concerning him who it is that we are to consider as having come down to the human race as God and the Son of God, whether that Jesus who said and ministered so much, or those who, under pretense of oracles and divinations, do not reform the morals of their worshippers, but who have besides apostatized from the pure and holy worship and honor due to the maker of all things, 
and who tear away the souls of those who give heed to them from the one only visible and true God under a pretense of paying honor to a multitude of deities. But since he says in the next place, as if the Jews or Christians had answered regarding those who come down to visit the human race, that they were angels, quote, But if ye say that they are angels, what do you call them? He continues, Are they gods or some other race of beings? End quote. And then, again, introduces us as if answering, quote, Some other race of beings, and probably demons. End quote. Let us proceed to notice these remarks, for we indeed acknowledge that angels are ministering spirits, and we say that they are sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation, and that they ascend bearing the supplications of men to the purest of the heavenly places in the universe, or even to the supercelestial regions purer still, and that they come down from these, conveying to each one according to his deserts something enjoined by God to be conferred by them upon those who are to be the recipients of his benefits. Having thus learned to call these beings angels from their employments, we find that because they are divine, they are sometimes termed God in the sacred scriptures, but not so that we are commanded to honor and worship in place of God those who minister to us and bear to us his blessings. For every prayer and supplication and intercession and thanksgiving is to be sent up to the supreme God through the high priest who is above all the angels, the living word and God. And to the word himself shall we also pray and make intercessions and offer thanksgivings and supplications to him if we have the capacity of distinguishing between the proper use and abuse of prayer. For to invoke angels without having obtained a knowledge of their nature greater than is possessed by men would be contrary to reason. But conformity to our hypothesis, let this knowledge of them, which is something wonderful and mysterious, be obtained. Then this knowledge, making known to us their nature, and the offices to which they are severally appointed, will not permit us to pray with confidence to any other than to the supreme God, who is sufficient for all things, and that through our Savior, the Son of God, who is the Word, and wisdom, and truth, and everything else which the writings of God's prophets and the apostles of Jesus entitle him. And it is enough to secure that the holy angels of God be propitious to us, and that they do all things on our behalf, that our disposition of mind towards God should imitate, as far as it is within the power of human nature, the example of these holy angels, who again follow the example of their God, and that the conceptions which we entertain of his Son, the Word, as far as attainable by us, should not be opposed to the clearer conceptions of him which the holy angels possess, but should daily approach these in clearness and distinctness. But because Celsus has not read our holy scriptures, he gives himself an answer as if it came from us, saying that we, quote, assert that the angels who come down from heaven to confer benefits on mankind are a different race from the gods, and adds that, in all probability, they would be called demons by us, end quote. Not observing 
that the name, demons, is not a term of indifferent meaning, like that of men, among whom some are good and some bad, nor yet a term of excellence like that of the gods, which is applied not to wicked demons, or to statues, or to animals, but by those who know divine things. To what is truly divine and blessed, whereas the term demons is always applied to those wicked powers freed from the encumbrance of a grosser body, who lead men astray and fill them with distractions and drag them down from God and supracelestial thoughts to things here below. He next proceeds to make the following statement about the Jews, quote, The first point relating to the Jews, which is fitted to excite wonder, is that they should worship the heaven and the angels who dwell therein, and yet pass by and neglect its most venerable and powerful parts, as the sun and moon and the other heavenly bodies, both fixed stars and planets, as if it were possible that the whole could be God, and yet its parts not divine, or as if it were reasonable to treat with the greatest respect those who are said to appear to such as are in darkness somewhere, blinded by some crooked sorcery, or dreaming dreams through the influence of shadowy spectres, while those who prophesy so clearly and strikingly to all men by means of whom rain and heat and clouds and thunder to which they offer worship, and lightnings, and fruits, and all kinds of productiveness are brought about, by means of whom God is revealed to them, the most prominent heralds among those beings that are above, those that are truly heavenly angels, are to be regarded as of no account. End quote. In making these statements, Celsus appears to have fallen into confusion, and to have penned them from false ideas of things which he did not understand, for it is patent to all who investigate the practices of the Jews and compare them with those of the Christians that the Jews who follow the law, which speaking in the person of God says, quote, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee an image, nor a likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down to them, nor serve them. End quote. Worship nothing else than the supreme God, who made the heavens and all things besides. Now it is evident that those who live according to the law and worship the maker of heaven, will not worship the heaven at the same time with God. Moreover, no one who obeys the law of Moses will bow down to the angels who are in heaven. And, in like manner, as they do not bow down to sun, moon, and stars, the host of heaven, they refrain also from doing obeisance to heaven and its angels, obeying the law which declares, quote, lest thou lift up thine eyes to heaven, and when thou seest the sun, and the moon, and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them, and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations. Having, moreover, assumed that the Jews considered the heaven to be God, he adds that this is absurd, finding fault with those who bow down to the heaven, but not also to the sun and moon and stars, saying that the Jews do this as if it were possible that the whole should be God, and its several parts not divine. 
and he seems to call the heaven a whole, and sun, moon, and stars its several parts. Now, certainly, neither Jews nor Christians call the heaven God. Let it be granted, however, that, as he alleges, the heaven is called God by the Jews, and suppose that sun, moon, and stars are parts of heaven, which is by no means true, for neither are the animals and plants upon the earth any portion of it. How is it true, even according to the opinions of the Greeks, that if God be a whole, his parts are also divine? Certainly, they say that the cosmos taken as the whole is God, the Stoics calling it the first God, the followers of Plato, the second, and some of them, the third. According to these philosophers, then, seeing the whole cosmos is God, its parts also are divine, so that not only are human beings divine, but the whole of the irrational creation as being portions of the cosmos, and besides these, the plants also are divine. And if the rivers and mountains and seas are portions of the cosmos, then, since the whole cosmos is God, are the rivers and seas also gods. But this even the Greeks will not assert. Those, however, who preside over rivers and seas, either demons or gods as they call them, they would term gods. Now, from this it follows that the general statement of Celsus, even according to the Greeks who hold the doctrine of providence, is false, that if any whole be a god, its parts necessarily are divine. But it follows from the doctrine of Celsus that if the cosmos be god, all that is in it is divine, being parts of the cosmos. Now, according to this view, animals, as flies and gnats and worms, and every species of serpent, as well as of birds and fishes, will be divine, an assertion which would not be made even by those who maintain that the cosmos is God. But the Jews, who live according to the law of Moses, although they may not know how to receive the secret meaning of the law, which is conveyed in obscure language, will not maintain that either the heaven or the angels are God. As we allege, however, that he has fallen into confusion in consequence of false notions which he has imbibed, come and let us point them out to the best of our ability, and show that, although Celsus considers it to be a Jewish custom to bow down to the heaven and the angels in it, such a practice is not at all Jewish, but is in violation of Judaism, as it also is to do with obeisance to sun, moon, and stars, as well as images. You will find, at least in the book of Jeremiah, the words of God censoring by the mouth of the prophet the Jewish people for doing obeisance to such objects and for sacrificing to the Queen of Heaven and to all the host of heaven. The writings of the Christians, moreover, show in censoring the sins committed among the Jews, that when God abandoned that people on account of certain sins, those sins of idol worship also were committed by them. For it is related in the Acts of the Apostles regarding the Jews that, quote, God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets, 
O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, ye took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god Remphan, figures which you made to worship them. End quote. And in the writings of Paul, who was carefully trained in Jewish customs and converted afterwards to Christianity by a miraculous appearance of Jesus, the following words may be read in the epistle to the Colossians, quote, Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, from which all the body by joint and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. End quote. But Celsus, having neither read these verses, nor having learned their contents from any other source, has represented, I know not how, the Jews as not transgressing their law in bowing down to the heavens and to the angels therein. And still continuing, a little confused, and not taking care to see what was relevant to the matter, he expressed his opinion that the Jews were induced by the incantations employed in jugglery and sorcery, in consequence of which certain phantoms appear in obedience to the spells employed by the magicians, to bow down to the angels in heaven, not observing that this was contrary to their law, which said to them who practiced such observances, quote, Regard not them which have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. End quote. He ought, therefore, either not to have at all attributed this practice to the Jews, seeing he has observed that they keep their law, and has called them, quote, those who live according to their law, end quote. Or if he did attribute it, he ought to have shown that the Jews did this in violation of their code. But again, as they transgress their law, who offer worship to those who are said to appear to them, who are involved in darkness and blinded by sorcery, and who dream dreams owing to obscure phantoms, presenting themselves, so also do they transgress the law who offer sacrifice to sun, moon, and stars. And there is thus great inconsistency in the same individual, saying that the Jews are careful to keep their law by not bowing down to sun and moon and stars, while they are not so careful to keep it in the matter of heaven and the angels. And if it be necessary for us to offer a defense of our refusal to recognize as gods, equally with angels, the sun and moon and stars, those who are called by the Greeks, quote, manifest invisible, end quote, divinities, we shall answer that the law of Moses knows that these latter have been apportioned by God among all the nations under the heaven, but not amongst those who were selected by God as his chosen people above all the nations of the earth. For it is written in the book of Deuteronomy, quote, Unless thou lift up thine eyes unto heaven, and when thou seest the sun, and the moon, and the stars, even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them, and serve them, which the Lord thy God hath divided unto all nations under the whole heaven. But the Lord hath taken us, and brought us forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance, as ye are to this day." End quote. The Hebrew people then 
being called by God a chosen generation and a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a purchased people, regarding whom it was foretold by Abraham by the voice of the Lord addressed to him, quote, Look now towards heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. End quote. And having thus a hope that they would become as the stars of heaven, were not likely to bow down to those objects which they were to resemble as a result of their understanding and observing the law of God. For it was said to them, quote, The Lord our God hath multiplied us, Behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. End quote. In the book of Daniel, also, the following prophecies are found relating to those who are to share in the resurrection. Quote, and at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that has been written in the book, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and those of the many righteous as the stars for ever and ever, end quote, etc. And hence, Paul, too, when speaking of the resurrection, says, quote, And there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. End quote. It was not, therefore, consonant to reason that those who had been taught sublimely to ascend above all created things and to hope for the enjoyment of the most glorious rewards with God on account of their virtuous lives and who had heard the words, quote, Ye are the light of the world and let your light so shine before men that they, seeing your good works, may glorify your Father who is in heaven, End quote. And who possessed, through practice, this brilliance and unfading wisdom, or who had secured even the, quote, very reflection of everlasting light, End quote, should be so impressed with the mere visible light of sun and moon and stars, that, on account of that sensible light of theirs, they should deem themselves, although possessed of so great a rational light of knowledge, and of the true light, and the light of the world, and the light of men, to be somehow inferior to them, and to bow down to them, seeing they ought to be worshipped, if they are to receive worship at all, not for the sake of the sensible light which is admired by the multitude, but because of the rational and true light, if, indeed, the stars in heaven are rational and virtuous beings, and have been illuminated with the light of knowledge by that wisdom which is the, quote, reflection of everlasting light, end quote. For that sensible light of theirs is the work of the creator of all things, while that rational light is derived, perhaps, from the principle of free will within them. End of chapters 1 through 10 of Against Celsus, book 5, read by... David Ronald